Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. All right. Well, we're going to do something different this morning. You're not going to hear me uh, preach a big, long sermon. Uh, I'm going to have a couple of our uh, church members and some of our leadership team come on up here and join me. Pastor Tom, come on. Brother Al, come on. Uh, Pastor Brandon, come on. Give them a hand as they come. Hey, don't start the timer just yet. You guys can be seated. We've got Brother Tom Thomas Winden over here. And then we've got Brandon McAlpine and Al, Brother Al McDuffie. And we're going to have a conversation because that's what's needed right now, right? I got three people with me and a baby. We're going to have a conversation. I, uh, and we're going to have a conversation about race and about what's going on right now. And the best posture every one of us could do in this room, the best posture we could take is one of listening. We need to listen to each other very, very carefully for a very, very long time. And I I want to say this to you. When you look at what's happening right now regarding race in this country, and the different stances people are taking. Um, If you look at race and you view it through the lens of, well, it's the left versus the right. It's the Democrats versus the Republicans. At that point, we have idolized politics. It's not left versus right. It's kingdom of God versus kingdom of darkness. Hearing what I'm saying? And I want to say this to you. I want to say this to you because I I, I want you to hear how I think about this. When I see this happening, when COVID happens or all of the different things that we have to to wade through, I never, I never approach it from a, that I'm a a Democrat lens. What what does this mean for me as a, because I'm not a Democrat and I don't approach it from, well, what does this mean for me as a Republican? I'm not a Republican either. When I see these issues, I come at them and I say, what do I know that God's word says about this? And if you think either party is saying what God is saying about it, then you have no idea what God has said about it. Okay. And if we elevate one over the other, then we're missing the whole point. God's word comes to us and looks at both sides and says, you're both wrong and need to repent. And this is what the kingdom of God has to say about it. And that's the role of the church. We are the salt of the earth. We're called to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Okay. And so I've preached for two weeks on becoming an anti-racist church. Pastor Cole preached last week on becoming an anti-racist church. And I heard he did phenomenal. Ran some people off, but we'll talk about that later. And uh, and now we're going to have a conversation. 
and, I, and I, I, I felt the pressure. I felt, I'll give you an example. I felt the pressure this week with all of the, the violence and the rioting and the protesting. I know what people are wanting. They're wanting me to come out and say, I condemn violence. Okay? All right? So, I condemn violence. That's right. That's right. I believe Jesus condemns violence. All right? The posture of the church has to be one of nonviolence. Okay? But, but that thought has huge implications. When I say we are to take the posture of being nonviolent, I don't mean we're to take the posture of we're just anti-rioting, although we are against violent riots. We are against violence. I don't think we see the logical conclusions of those statements. That means when countries are being bombed by our country and innocent civilians are dying, we can't stand up and salute because we're nonviolent. Now it all got weird. We, we hadn't even got into the conversation. <laughs> so I want, you, I want you to be clear on this. Violence of any kind is not the Jesus way. Okay? It's not the Jesus way. Jesus actually had within his disciples and the people following him. If you've ever read the Bible very much, you'll stumble over this word from time to time in the New Testament. The word zealot. You've seen that word. You've heard that word, the term zealot. Jesus had zealots within his own company of disciples. And what a zealot was, was they were a violent nationalist. They're going to establish the kingdom of Israel by the sword. That's why when Jesus gets arrested in the garden, they've got swords on them. The disciples are packing. Pull the sword out. And we tell everybody that he cut his ear off. He was aiming. Do you know how good you have to be with a sword to cut somebody's ear off? He was aiming for his head and the man ducked and Peter got his ear. And what did Jesus do? Put up your sword and healed the wound that violence caused. That's right. Because he's nonviolent. However, I want you to hear this. From what I've been told, from what I understand, about 95% of the protests happening right now are peaceful. There's about 5% that's getting absolutely out of control. But what do you see 24 hours a day? Right? Because violence is sexy. Right? And it sells and it gets viewership. But underneath. Everything that you see as you watch the news every day, and I pray to God you don't watch the news all the time. You need to go on a walk, get some fresh air, buy an ice cream cone, (laughs) right? Pet a dog, do something that has some humanity to it. But underneath all of that that you see is the groan of a people saying, We're begging you to listen to us. You know what scares me the most about the riots and the violence and the destruction? The thing that terrifies me the most about it is it's working. Because I have never seen 
a more collective outrage from the white community in my life. And I don't want us to send the message to a generation that this is what it takes for you to be heard. That's right. That's right. Dr. King gave us the recipe for making sure that never happens. And the recipe is simple. Listen. Just listen. You don't even have to agree with everything, but just listen. Can I get an amen from somebody? You're good, Jansen. Thanks, brother. And so this is why we have talked about this for four weeks, and I want you to hear this. And I don't know how much longer we'll talk about it. I might preach on something different next week. I might preach on the rapture. Probably not because I don't believe in it, but <laughs> everybody's ready for that to happen. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That got weird again. I said the rapture, and everybody's like, wait a second, hang on now, hang on. Before you have this race conversation, we got to talk about the rapture. Calm down. It's all right. It's all right. Jesus is coming. <laughs> You're walking around landmines, and I just stepped on one. It blew a leg off. <laughs> so I'm going through this conversation one-legged now. <laughs> the reason I think this is important numerous reasons. I could get into the theological reasons behind this, why I think it's important, but I want you to hear me. Imagine you installed a sound system at your house. You got four, eight, nine, ten speakers, however many, whatever the case may be, and each speaker has to be adjusted individually. And for so long, the church, specifically the white church, the white, the, the white community, We've had the speaker turned up on one or two issues so loudly that it's drowning out everything else. We've had the speaker turned up on abortion, and the speaker needs to be turned up on abortion. We've had the speaker turned up on other moral issues, and the speaker needs to be turned up on those issues. But when we've turned those speakers up so loud, there's also a speaker of race that we've not heard a peep from. I would venture to guess that the last three weeks in this church, some of you, it's the first time in your life you've heard a race preached about in church. I had to go repent before God because it's the first time I'd ever preached on it specifically. And I've been doing this 20 years. I've mentioned it in sermons and I've talked about how it was evil and things of that nature. But I mean really trying to teach and preach about it. That speaker's turned all the way down. And now as we start to dial up the noise on that speaker, the reactions have been... What's the right? The reactions have been surprising, um, hurtful, amazing, and everything in between. Because we're finally hearing a noise, the white church is finally hearing a noise that we've been deaf to. And it's not because... There wasn't sound coming out of the speaker. It's because we chose to turn it down. And this morning, 
we're turning it up. That's right. That's right. You with me? That's right. All right, brethren. Now, Al, me and you and Randy talk about this just about every day. We've had many lunches at Double Dogs talking about this. That's right. And so I'm going to start with you. I want you to tell us your experience, how you're thinking and feeling about all this, how you're processing this, and we'll just go from there. First of all, I... I um we need to honor Pastor Casey, Pastor Lindsay, for stepping out uh, on the subject. We, we, it, this Pastor Casey didn't jump on the bandwagon when this was popular for everybody to jump on. This is a conversation we probably had a year and a half to two years ago. It's just coming out now. He's, he, uh, so behind the scenes, he's been already working on this. Um, and I have to say that the questions that he asks, they're not surface questions. Um, so all the people on Facebook that's, that's jumping on him because he, you think that he's jumping on a bandwagon or something like that, it's not the case because uh, we had these conversations at lunch and different things like that. So um, second, my Hope Unlimited family, <laughs> y'all have been tremendous. Um, standing up for what's right. Go ahead. You, you can clap. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I tell you, um, just text messages, trying to really find out what's really going on, what's really going on in the black community. My kids getting texts. I mean, everybody just trying to find out um, wh what's really going on. Um, <laughs> what's really going on in the world today. And so, we, we, you know, I don't use that term family lightly. Uh, if I call you family your family and hope unlimited you showed me a whole different uh, I'm telling you <laughs> you are family um, now um, my experience um, I grew up in Newark New Jersey so I grew up in what everyone calls the inner city we call it the hood uh, so <laughs> so the, everybody call it the inner city but uh, growing up uh, you know in, in, in Newark um, I didn't my mom um, if, if you Look at history. In 1967, there was a riot uh, in Newark, New Jersey. My mom was a part of that. So um, she was part of change before I even came along. So when I was born, um, I, didn't under, I didn't understand race because she shielded me from a whole lot of things. There, there were things in, in, in my DNA that I wasn't aware of, but I knew that uh, what she taught me, that we weren't inferior to anybody. So... I didn't see a lot of, uh, you know, the racism and things like that because she went to school, you know, she's got an education, and we traveled the world and we did things. So I didn't have that um, experience that a lot of inner city people are having right now. But just because I, you know, my mom educated me and shielded me from it, that doesn't mean that I'm not aware of what was going on and being a part of, of that fight. So, um then moving to the South, um, I didn't see it till I was in corporate America. And when I got in corporate America, uh, we really get to see uh, how systems and different things like that, you know, was, was turned against me. Because I, I, my mom shimmed me from a lot of that, you know. Um, but as, as we go on through this conversation, I'll share a little more about our experience and what it means to me and what I see now um, 
which, which I, I'm so thankful to see. And uh, we'll, we'll just go from there. Brandon, you grew up biracial home. What's been some of your experience? Your dad was actually here two weeks ago. Yep. Um, wonderful man. Your mom is precious. What's some of your experience? How are you thinking about and processing all this? Um, a big thing for me growing up in a biracial home, I'm also from the north. I'm from Connecticut. And um, I didn't notice race as an issue when I lived there. You know, it just wasn't a conversation we had to have. My dad was a cop, you know, so I knew the whole, you know, react to cops a certain way. I'm a cop, you know, this, you know, well, he was a cop. And um, so I didn't have to deal with those kind of issues. But when we moved to the South, the thing that affected me the most as a biracial person was the Christian community. Because I had people tell me my parents were going to hell because they were unequally yoked. And so my experience as a biracial person living in America was the Christian church doesn't want you and we don't want your parents. And so that was the biggest thing for me when it, in regards to racism was I didn't really experience it that much outside of anywhere except for the church. And that's why this is, needs to be a huge conversation in the church is because we have to remove those stigmas of, you know, being biracial and, you know, Jews and Gentiles and unequally yoked. Is That is a real thing that is still happening in 2020. So... Yeah, and I, I want to make this point, too. I, I've said this in sermons that we have, because I heard when Brandon told that story about his, his parents or being what he was told about his parents, I heard the collective groan, like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Okay, And, and, and of course, we all find that to be reprehensible right. in every way, right? right. But that is, that is some of the most overt and blatant racism that we get confronted with, right? And most reasonable people, and as we just learned, there are some unreasonable people. But most unreasonable people respond like you just did. Oh, I can't believe somebody would say that. But I want to get to the deeper racism. I want to get to the ideas about race that have gotten into us in a thousand different ways that we're not even aware of. What was told to Brandon about his parents 25 years ago was normal. Uh 25 years ago was preached from pulpits. 25 years later, we all say, oh, my God, who would say that? I'm afraid there are things that we embrace now that feel normal. That 25 years from now, we will say, I cannot believe I embrace such reprehensible ideas. And the reason a conversation is important is for this reason, many reasons, but this being one. We equate racism with hate. And unless you've committed a hateful act, unless you have called someone a name, unless you have done something reprehensible, then you're not racist. People can be racist in ways they are ignorant of because of this. Race in America is not so much what we see, it's how we see. Race isn't the object we're looking at. Race is the glasses we're wearing when we look at the object. Does that make sense? It's deeper than... 
I look at Al and I see he's a black man and I recognize that he is a black man. And then with that comes all sorts of stereotypes, even at the most hidden level. And most of the people, I had some great conversations this past week in Alabama with some people on this topic that I never thought would embrace what we're saying about racism. Okay, I want you to get this point. I want you to get this point, and then, Tom, I want you to jump in. I want you to hear me. Had some conversations with some people, white, white people, that absolutely embrace racist ideas. That when I'm talking to them, I had to keep my mouth from, like, from hitting the, the floor. And as I talked to them, I learned these people are not hateful. These people are just ignorant. And I don't mean ignorant in a derogatory way. I mean they are unaware. And so I wanted to go be the advocate for my black brothers and sisters and say, let me help you see this in a different way. And I learned something. That ignorance simply needs educated. Hate needs rebuked. But ignorance needs educated and I think we're all ignorant in all sorts of ways myself included and the reason I want to hear my black brothers and sisters talk is because I want to be educated can I get a witness Tom I'll give you a little background um, of my life I was born in Chicago I lived there till I was seven years old downtown Chicago my dad owned a bar um wasn't mixed racially. It was what you would call a honky-tonk uh-huh. downtown Chicago. Um, at seven years old, um, my, my mother and I, they separated. My mother and I went to West Virginia. So I went from downtown Chicago to the sticks of West Virginia. And then about nine, ten years old until I was about 15, every summer I would go and spend about two months back in Chicago with my father. So that birthed a lot of different thought in me experiencing those, I mean, you can't get more drastically different culture. Um, so that birthed a lot of things in me. Um, grew up in a town in West Virginia for the most part, uh, not diverse. Uh, I think we had a couple African-Americans in my high school. That was about it. Uh, I was friends with them. Um, and it, there wasn't a lot of talk about race because you didn't need to. You didn't need to. Um, but... I heard plenty of things that I didn't agree with. A lot of names being called, a lot of uh, derogatory statements, and for whatever reason, I, I think it was experience plus the grace of God. Um, I just had a different mindset. And just to kind of touch on, on your life, I, I can remember this statement. I would argue, I, I got in screaming matches in my own home at times, um, but in the rare occasion, I would, I would have the conversation um, with folks. I would argue um, that what they were saying was, was just illegitimate. How can you look at another human and feel that way? And I can remember one of the litmus tests that was thrown at me. Oh, okay, you talk all this, you talk all this, but what would you do? You know, years down the road, and I don't know how old I was when this happened, teen, I'm sure. What would you do if 
your daughter, if you had a daughter, she married a black man, what would you do? I'd be like, um, be fine with it. And it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because my oldest daughter, Mariah, married a black man. He is an uh, incredible man. He, he is a police officer and just a man of integrity, uh, a man that loves his profession, walks in justice. Um, and, you know, that is something that doesn't bother me one bit. And, um, you know, I'm just honored to be up here. Uh, I like to talk. I like to talk the subject a lot, but I want to listen. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Um, one of the things that, that we need to understand, one of the things that I think that gets looked over is as a white community, lots of times um, you hear the butt statements, right? Right. And I encourage you, any of our black brothers and sisters, tell your stories. The most powerful thing you, you hear from a stage in a church is a testimony. Tell your stories. They're stats, but stories overrule stats all day. So tell your stories because stories humanize things. And you might hear one story by somebody you don't know on the internet or you might hear one story over here, and that's not going to move you. That's right. You might throw up the buts, right? Yeah, but, right. but, right. but. Right. But when you hear story after story, and that's what changed me too, to see a broader scope, is when I hear story after story. I'm in college, Marshall University, and most of my friends were black. And I'm hearing story right. after story, and then I'm experiencing it. When we, we, we took a road trip one time, and me and a couple of my brothers, we, get, we take a road trip, and, and we're going in stores, getting followed. And I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. And, they're, and they're laughing about it. They're like, hey, hey, they'll, they'll announce, hey, 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 we ain't stealing nothing. It's all good. I mean, that's what they would do in the store. And, and that was just like, bling, because, again, sticks to West Virginia, right? So... I just I, I want to encourage you, listen to the stories. And you might be able to discount one or two, but you can't discount 100, right. 500. Right. right now across the country, you're hearing a million, right. Right. Right? right? So listen, listen and understand that don't take out the human element and try to connect to it. I, I want to, maybe this might be pushing this conversation too far. <laughs> So we'll, we'll recuperate in a minute. Tom's talking about the, the but statements, okay? One that I've heard repeatedly is, yeah, they're the black community, the black brothers and sisters, especially young black men get followed in stores because there's so much black crime, right? That's a, that's a, that's a but statement. And I was having this conversation with a dear white friend, one of my best friends in the world. I said, you know, the statistics for pedophiles is disproportionately white. So how would you feel if every time you walked in a room, 
a mother or a grandmother started grabbing their babies and grandbabies because they thought you were going to do something to them. Well that, well, that wouldn't be fair. I'm the, exactly. And so we individualize bad white behavior and we generalize bad black behavior. If a black person murders somebody, a person murdered somebody. If a white person murders somebody, then a person murdered somebody. You hearing what I'm saying? Instead of judging the group, when you make when you charge a collective group of people with a collective crime, there's nothing more racist than that. That I can look at you and make snap judgments because based on the behavior of a few, I know everything I need to know about the group. And when the shoe is on the other foot, the white community has a problem with that. And you should. Because it's unjust. But that is just some of the daily toll that our black brothers and sisters live with every single day for generations. That's why if you think that racism will go away if we just stop talking about it, it's absolutely absurd. I love you. God bless you. But that is foolishness. Okay? Now, Al, when you saw Brother George Floyd, and I saw a video come out. This might be inappropriate, too, to say. I saw people coming out not defending the police officer, but instead denigrating George Floyd. Um, it appears, and he very well could have had a, a, a track record of, of criminal history. And I saw someone call him, not that he deserved to die, but that he was a bottom feeder because he was a criminal. Evidently, it appears. I'm not calling him that. that that's what it appears. When you think, of, you can say that and be Republican or Democrat. You can say that and be American. You can't say that and be Christian. Because what? What America calls bottom feeders, Jesus calls the least of these. I'll hand clap myself. Right? So when you saw that happen to Brother Floyd, how'd that make you feel? How'd you process that? Well, the first thing, um, when, when, when you live in this skin a lot of times, you become numb to some of it because you see it so much and you're constantly out there, you know, this is wrong, and you seem like you're fighting by yourself. So when you see that, you know, in our minds, it's just another incident. It's going to go to the wayside just like it, it always. You know, the, the, the media is going to turn it one way. Um, white America is going to turn their back and say he was just what they're trying to do, that he was a, a criminal or um, that he did something wrong. Him being a criminal has nothing to do with somebody choking the life out of him. Yep. You, you, you know, it, it, it has nothing to do. So if you can look at somebody, um, put yourself in that situation, white, black, green, I don't, I don't care, and you have somebody crying out for their mom, yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
who is dead. That, that's tell you he, he's losing oxygen there because he's not even thinking correctly. And if you can look at a person choke the life out of somebody and say it's okay, you, you need to repent because something is, is seriously wrong. So, so as as you look as you look at him, you know, and the, the angle only showed the one cop, but you have four cops. Number one, he was already in handcuffs. So you, th there's nothing that you can do. I don't care how big a person is. If you hand, if you shackle his hands and his leg, not too much he could do but roll over. He, he can't do anything. So taking so four people uh, choking the life out of one individual and then justifying it. How can you justify taking a life? I mean, it, it's it, it's so amazing um, to see the different reactions of people. I, I'm I, I don't. The world would do what the world do. The world is going to try to, to, to change it. My uh, perspective is, what is the church going to do about it? What is the church saying? Um, because we're called to be a light in darkness. So I, I don't even care what, what people say on Facebook. But if you're a Christian and you don't come up against this, I have to question your heart. And, but, because you're not, you're not reading the same Bible that I'm reading. And, because there are answers to everything that we're going on. If you read the Bible... I mean, read it and not use it as a prop. Um, if, 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 you actually, if, if, if you actually read read the Bible, you will see that there's an answer for everything that's going on now and how we should respond as a church. So, um, you know, I, I'm encouraged by seeing all the people uh, marching. Uh, I had a chance here in, um, in Knoxville. Every day I go get ice cream. Me and my, every single day I go downtown to a place called Cruz and get ice cream. And we happened to run into the protest. And, and when I saw the protest, um, you know, I stepped back. I was still eating my ice cream, of course. But 70, I, I would say 70% of the people were white. Uh, and so I, I, it, to me, that symbolizes that white America is now hearing what black people have been saying uh, the, the whole entire time. And, and they're taking the mantle and saying, brother, you, you know, you've been fighting this a long time. It's our turn to fight for you. So. I'm encouraged, you, you know, by seeing what I'm seeing now that, um, you know, that we now start to turn this into action because finally, you know, I'm encouraged because I see somebody is listening to us, uh, at least listening. You, you know, before we didn't leave, they, they would cut us off. Uh, that happens all the time, you know. So now I'm encouraged by what's going on in America, you know, just by that part. So. Uh, something I want to touch on that uh, Pastor Casey said with, you know, if we just stop talking about racism, it'll just go away. You know, racism is a stain on both the country and on the church. And so say you spill some coffee on your favorite shirt, right, and you have a stain on it. You don't just say, if I ignore it, it will go away. You know, it is still there. You have to actively do something to get rid of that stain. And so if this is something that you care about, you have to be doing things, and it goes back to the whole heart of we can't just be not racist. We have to be anti-racist. And being anti-racist is more than just saying, okay, yeah, there's a stain there. Being anti-racist is saying, there's a stain there, and we have to do something to get rid of it. It's what Alex said, you know, there are people finally taking a stand. You know, this has happened for centuries, these injustices. And people are just now taking notice and saying, this is a stain that we can no longer stand by. And it is happening outside of the church, and it is something that needs to happen in the church as well. Because like Al said, if you are reading the same Bible that I am, God is against these injustices. It goes back to what Pastor Cole said last week. 
justice is taking steps towards not just bringing justice, but correcting injustice. So we have to preach more than just we want justice for the black community. We have to preach we need to fix the injustices that have been happening in the black community. I have to, back to your stain point, I've got a Pentecostal scholar friend who puts it this way, that racism is not a skin cancer. It's a bone cancer. And it gets, it gets deeply, it's deeply embedded in everything that we do. All right. And, and I, I really want you to think about this. Racism is ultimately, from its very inception, been about power, right? Been about the subjugation of one group for the exaltation of another group. If it's about power and we are fighting that injustice, this is what that means. That means that our everyday ordinary fundamental life will change as we've known it in America. I want you to really think about that. This can't be a social media trend or a hashtag. This means that because I so believe that my black brothers and sisters are image bearers of God and that this is the heart of Jesus, that if we fight for equality and drive out racism as far from us as we can, our everyday life will change. And when people really begin to wrap their minds around what justice is, they get scared. Because, and I know for, for the ordinary Christian in middle America that's just living their life, it doesn't, it doesn't have that much impact. But for people in power, that means your grip on the lever of power right. is going to be loosened. That's right. That's right. And it's going to change everything. That's right. But my friend also said this. And, and, and with change comes fear. But my Pentecostal scholar friend said this. Until the church, and I want you to hear me. Until we can grieve over what has happened. Deeper than we fear what might happen. We will never change. We will never change. This cannot be, this isn't a skin disease. This is a bone disease. And this has to get down in our bones. The repentance for this has to get down deep in every part of us. It is one of the original sins that our country was built on. The other being the slaying of, of native peoples. It's getting so weird in here. Okay. There's a difference between Christianity and Americana. And when we mix those two up to the point that we can't sort out between the two, we've just then become Christian nationalists. Where we believe that everything America does and everything America says, God is doing and God is saved. And as Christians, we don't have that luxury. That's what Paul meant 
when he wrote to the Romans. We've always made this a salvation prayer, that if you believe in your heart and confess Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. That's been part of the Romans' road of salvation ever since I was a kid. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is making a political statement there. He's not telling you how to frame the sinner's prayer as if the sinner's prayer were a thing. Right? When Paul is saying confess Jesus as Lord, he's also saying Jesus, confess Jesus is Lord and confess Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord and America is not. Or your favorite presidential candidate is not. Or your favorite political party is not. Jesus is Lord. He is the king. And he's the one that we listen to. Can I get an amen from somebody? Now, I want to hear from all three of you on this. How do we move forward? I think uh, as America, uh, let's, let's just do the church. Um, I think now that you are listening, now we have to take action. Um, now we have to, uh, in order for change to happen, because we do have different political parties and different things like that that control um, the, the actual system. We have to challenge the system. And so now it's time for us to, um, now that everybody, corporations are starting to listen or at least have statements, now we have to call them out on those statements. Yeah. Um, not just, you know, it's easy for somebody to put something on paper. I put it down just so I can say I'm part of the, the, the fad or, or what's going on. But once you start challenging them on actions, then you'll really get to see what the heart of, of what they're saying is really about. So I, I think that um, as a church, um, I think it's time for the church to get, out, get outside the four, four walls and start leading um, the protests or, or any of the things because you, you can't change what you don't really understand. And that means the rural church has to go into the hood and, and, and figure out what you might have the resources and stuff in, in, the, in rural America that the hood don't have. And so now when you take your resources, because we are the body of Christ. So if, when you take your resources and, 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 and say, uh, Pastor, I know you don't have this and you don't have this, but, you know, I have the money. Can, can we put something together? And that way my church will have to work with your church and this church has to work with this church. And then um, I think everyone will, um, will see that. Um, we are the body of Christ, and then the stigma that you have about black people and inner city people in rural America is because rural America, everybody look at that's that's clan territory, and then you look at inner city, and everybody said that's the ghetto, those black people. So once we take those stereotypes out and we start to intertwine the inner the inner city and the rural community together and come together as the body of Christ, you'll see things start to change that way because the perception will change. Uh, I think um, before we can change the perception uh, of anything, people are not going to receive you. Now you, you see that the black community is starting to receive the, the white community like never before and vice versa because the perception has changed. Before, before I, I'm going to let you into to me, I, have to, I perceive that you're, you're a threat or something like that. So before I let you uh, find out what's going on in my neighborhood or let the cops come in, I have to perceive that you as not a threat, that, that you're not here to do what every other cop did, or you're not the National Guard here to, to tear up my, you know, to, to fight against us or war against us because you're not listening to us. But now that I perceive you here to help me, now that I receive you different, and now we can make change together. So. 
Um, I think one thing for the church moving forward, um, it kind of touches on what Pastor Casey was saying, is we have to be concerned less with being patriotic Americans and more of being Christ-like Christians. Because that, I mean, (laughs) out of everything that I've seen on Facebook, I've seen so many people and I've had so many conversations where they're more concerned with being patriotic and standing with America and blah, 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 and not standing with a broken and hurting community that we've forgotten what Christ called us to do. And so going forward, we have to be more concerned with, and I'm just going to drop it and run, okay? You have to check your heart if you are more concerned with flying across, you know, the globe to go help a black orphan and not drive down the road to help a black orphan right down the street. The church needs to check their heart right there. And I want to, and I know you're saying this because me and you've talked about this briefly. And I want to clarify something I said earlier. When I'm talking about America, I've been all over the world. I'm th- I'm thankful for so much about America. I, there's no other place I'd rather live. Lindsay would live in Paris right now, not me. There's so much about America that I appreciate. When I talk about Jesus is Lord and America is not, I'm not preaching an anti-American message. I'm preaching an anti-nationalist message. Meaning we cannot get America and Jesus commingled. Okay, we cannot let we can't let our favorite representative of our fa- or our favorite political view influence what the Bible says. Okay, we can't do that. And so we've got to we've got to we've got to untangle that. We've got to untangle America from the Bible. Okay. All right, I'm going to, uh, you ask about what can we do to see change. And we've been talking about what I would call a macro level, mm-hmm. right? The church at large, joining in things. Um, I think that is part of the healing mm-hmm. because you can look and say, wait a minute, they're for us. Uh-huh. Okay? Right. So that's got to happen. But let's go micro, okay? Micro leads to the word discipleship. Right. Yep. We have to change minds. We can go out and change the minds of the black community as far as a perception by joining as a group. But as the white community, we've got to change minds individually. Discipleship on a one-on-one basis. And it can work. I've seen it work. Um, I went to ministry school, had some folks there, uh, a couple young men there that you use the word ignorance. We need to understand that term that offends people, and it shouldn't. Ignorance doesn't say you don't have the capability of learning. You don't know what you don't know. Right? right? That doesn't give people a pass on personal responsibility. But we have a responsibility, when those questions are asked, to address them. If, if you know someone or if you're sitting here today and there's certain things that you're like, you know, I'm, I'm pro-black people. I don't have a problem with black people, but I don't understand this. Uh-huh. I don't under. That's okay. Uh-huh. That's, right. that's okay. That's right. But what you need to do with that question is not come at somebody on Facebook. You need to private message this man, yeah. Yeah. private message that man, and say, "Hey, I got I got a legitimate question." It's all about the way you pose it. Yeah. Yeah. 
if if you got and you you will have we cannot relate we can't relate and when, when you can grab hold of that like i said listen to the stories grab hold of that and then run with it and message somebody and say look you know i feel i got one of them butts we were talking about Talk to me about it. Explain to me. Educate me. Take the low road. Humility will go 9,000 miles on this subject. Okay? To the white community, I've had this conversation with hundreds of people. Listen to the stories. Consider this. All right? I'm going to talk specifically about police brutality right now. So get ready. All right. So... We have an understanding that you have different levels, I would say, of racism, right? And you talked about the bar being set so high that if, you know, you're only racist if you're burning a cross in a yard, right? There's different things that we need to talk about. But, but understand this. I know in my life I've had thoughts that were incorrect. Right. That's right. Naturally, That's Right. right? Two weeks ago, <laughs> I had thoughts that were incorrect, right? I'm not immune. Right. That's right. We all do. Everybody's at different levels in this thing. What I want you to understand is that if you can look into society and say, in your mind, whatever stat you want, yeah, probably this percentage of people are diehard racist, this percentage of people are just ignorant, this percentage of people. When you punch a clock, that doesn't go away. That's right. That's right. So if you've got somebody with a bunch of mess in here, right. Right? You take 100 people, if 25% of them got a bunch of mess in here towards black people, it's not like when they go swipe the card to their job, that just dissipates. That's right. That's right. So as a white community, we got to understand that. It, it, it's something that is at the root of a lot of this, is that we want to automatically go, well, there's no way. Because you don't think that way. You don't look at our brother here and go, oh, well, I hope he gets choked out. That's not the way we think. Right. That's right. That's right. But what we have to understand is no matter what the profession is, he talked about corporate America. He's got stories, right? Listen to his stories. Corporate America, the church, doctors, Walmart, police officers. There's elements in every part of society that, that your, your thoughts don't stop when you punch the clock, right? So we have to admit that. We have to understand that and just come to grips with it because it's a reality. We've all talked to people that are off the hook racist. If you're white, you have, period. Again, if they're out there, they're in there. They're in the different professions. That's right. And <clears throat> talking about the, the idea of questions, and then I'm going to, I'm going to probably end this on explaining Black Lives Matter. Okay. But, but before we do that, in regards to Tom's questions, I've gotten this question a lot. Because when, when people hear the term white privilege, that, is, that's, that comes off as an attack. That that's, comes off as offensive. And the only reason it's offensive is because we don't understand what that term means. Yeah. When we hear the term white privilege, we believe that it, the entire country is saying all white people are irredeemably racist. And that's not what that term means. So, so I, I want to explain it so we can have intelligent conversation about it. 
I've never in my life been followed in a Walmart or in a gas station. I've never in my life been pulled over and mis- almost mistreated. I've never been pulled over, and I've been pulled over a few times. <laughs> Twice in one day, one time. I was in college. It was crazy. I've never been pulled over and a drop, a single shred of fear enter my heart. I've never been denied a job because of the color of my skin. Most of the people in this room, myself included, we have never been on the receiving end of a racial prejudice ever. Most of the people in this room, you can count on one hand how many times you've actually been the minority in a room. And so when we talk about race and everybody's like, we don't really know what, what in the world is going on. I thought things were fine. That is white privilege, meaning it is an attack. The word white privilege is an attack on a social structure, not a people group, but on a social structure that insulates a particular group of people from subjugation of any kind. Okay. It's a, it's a wall that is put around. Because I've had, I've had these conversations with my black brothers and sisters. My, one of my dear uh, uh, pastor friends, he's, a, he's an African-American pastor. He's having to have conversations right now with his 12-year-old son about how he's going to be judged because he likes to wear baggy clothes and he's got his braids in his hair. We've never experienced that. Because we've never experienced that, that is white privilege. Okay, That means we've been insulated from racial prejudice in that way. And I know there's, and I've had these conversations. People say, well, I'm not privileged. I came up poor and I, I scratched and clawed my way out and I've worked hard and I have made myself what I am. And I think that's awesome. Nobody's taking that away from you. And as hard as you've had it, you've still not had it as hard as a poor person that is also a black person. Okay, That's what we mean when we say white privilege. So that can't be viewed as an attack on the color of my skin. That's what we're trying to get out of. Okay, Now, the phrase and the movement, black lives matter, just those three words cause all sorts of reactions. We'll end with this. All sorts of reactions. I started this week reading the memoirs. The Black Lives Matter movement was, was started by three women, three African-American women. And I started reading the memoirs of one of the founders to see how this whole idea even shaped in her. And it's not from a place of hate. It's from a place of trauma. So when we say Black Lives Matter, when people make that statement, and, of course, there are th- we talked about this in the back. There are things about the movement that Christians shouldn't condone. Right. Hate, right. violence, um, being fully anti-police officer, right? They're, they're even painting things that all cops are, and then they just start. All cops are not. Thank God for the righteous, humble, professional police officers that keep us safe. Okay? Thank God for that. So let's untangle the movement from all of the things that that need to stay as as a cornerstone of the movement that Christians of all races can champion. 
for me, I think um, the perception of Black Lives Matter has changed now, uh, now that you see white America and black America coming together. Because in the beginning, Black Lives Matter was just, the black, was just black people. And so um, whenever you, it's one of those stereotypes. So they just care about black lives and, 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 and they're about violence because they always say that black people are violent. So the, the movement was about people being violent. Now that you see um, everyone marching with Black Lives Matters now, the perception has changed. Like, you know, for all this time, I thought it was about the violence and all the things that the media portray them to be. It's not, it's not the cause. So now you've seen people champion Black Lives Matter. Uh, I was downtown, and um, it said Asians for Black Lives Matter, and, and all these different uh, groups coming together for Black Lives Matter. So you have to study what the movement is about before you judge the, the movement. And I think for the first time, people are starting to to see, well, only thing they're, they're fighting for injustices, they, police brutality, all these things that for years they've been fighting about, but now it's finally breakthrough af after you see George Floyd uh, um, gets, get choked out in front of uh, America. Uh, now you see now in the movement, people are joining the movement because it's not about a particular race. What they're saying is it's coming against the injustices and things that police brutality and things like that and not about just black lives. All lives mat matter. Right. Yeah. But we have, to, in order for all lives to matter, black lives have yeah. to matter. And you can't, you can't just choke out somebody on the ground and say, you know what, let's just move on with life. Because if, if the tables were turned, it'll be a whole different reaction in America. So, you know, um, if, if get involved with the Black Lives Matter. Um, if, even if you, you just read something about it, Get involved, and you'll see that the perception for Black Lives Matter is, is really just to move everyone in the same direction. But we, we have been so pushed so far to the back. Um, now uh, the movement is starting to get the traction and things that, that you're supposed to, you know. Uh, Here, I, I, and, I, and I want you to hear me when I say that. Here's a, a, an issue that I take when people rebut Black Lives Matter with, yeah, but all lives matter. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's a couple of things there. Number one, I understand what you're saying. No, nobody with any sense would argue that all lives don't matter. Okay? That's like, well, all lives matter. Well, that's like saying, I'm against poverty. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe all lives matter. Number one, nobody was chanting that before the black community started standing up and saying black lives matter. Right. 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 Nobody was championing that. Right. Right. Okay. And number two, black lives matter. All lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah, but all lives matter. I want you to see how, I want you to see how we respond the moment we begin to turn up the speaker of racism. That's right. That's right. Well, black lives matter. No, all lives matter. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. We got to drown it out. Right. Well, I think black lives matter. No, no, all lives matter. Why aren't you fighting for this and that or the other? The moment, the moment we start to give voice to the African-American community, we overwhelm it with this statement that appears ultra-Christian when in reality it's neglecting you. Of course all lives matter. That's self-evident. 
We don't need an education on how all lives matter. We do need an education on how and why black lives matter. Because all lives are not being attacked in the same way. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Man, we're going to have half a church after this is over, but it's going to be good. Um, something I would say, backing up on the uh, you know, whole all lives matter thing, is whenever, you know, say you're at a rally outside of Planned Parenthood, you know, fighting for the lives of unborn children, and someone comes to you and says, all lives matter. You know, well, the lives of the born matter as well. That, we understand that. We get that. But right now, we are fighting for those that don't have a voice. So the reason that black lives matter in the church is because we're saying, yes, all lives matter. But right now, we are fighting for those that don't have the same voice that we do. So that's the lens that I've been looking at through is we haven't been protesting outside of police stations and outside of City Hall saying black lives matter the same way that we've been protesting outside of Planned, pa Planned Parenthood saying the unborn lives matter. These are voices that have not been heard for hundreds and hundreds of years. And now we're saying black lives matter because as a church, we need to say, we see that you have not had a voice and we are going to be that voice for you. Yeah. We're going to tell, we're going to champion that this community matters because they feel and they've been told that they don't matter in all sorts of ways. And it's not black lives matter more. That's right. It's Black Lives Matter too. We need to look at this as a watershed moment because that's what it is. We've seen this multiple times in the history of this country. There's, for whatever reason, the dam breaks. We saw it in the late 60s, MLK, right? If we're going to see change, tell me if I'm wrong, but the black community is 13% of the population. They need some help. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And this, this, right. this ground is ready. That's right. It's ready to produce fruit. That's right. Right? But we can't ignore it. We have to tend to it. That's right. So this is, this is a watershed moment for the church, for the white community. Don't be bashful. If you have questions, ask. That's right. When you have, especially in the church, you've got men of God sitting here. They've got grace for you, right? So don't, don't let your fear keep you from utilizing this moment. Because we don't want this to be this wave. Oh, we learned a little bit here again. Okay, we're a little bit better than we were. We want to eradicate it. And that, that's the opportunity we have right now. I, uh, I believe the Pentecostal church is at a watershed moment, a crossroads. You're going to have churches now since this has happened. You're going to have Pentecostal churches that start to stand up and speak for injustice. You're going to have Pentecostal churches that neglect it and pretend like nothing's happened. And can we just get back to arguing about the coronavirus? And then you're going to have Pentecostal churches that dig their heels in and say nothing needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. This church yeah. is going to be on the side of we're going to champion yeah. injustice yeah. That's right. That's right. for the black community, yeah. 
and for every other injustice that we see. You know, to the Black Lives Matter thing for a moment, we, we have to be able to untangle, because I know I'm going to, I've probably got 10 direct messages right now on my Facebook things, like, I can't believe you. We don't condone violence. You can support the meaning of a movement and not condone the fringe behaviors. Do you know that the church of Jesus Christ that you're a part of has one of the most violent, bloody histories of any movement in the history of the world? If you think the church has been 2,000 years of Mother Teresa's, you need to read a book. Okay? And all through that, people were standing for the truth of the movement and condemning the fringe and the violence. Black Lives Matter has views on sexuality that I don't agree with or believe in. But what I do believe is I do believe that black lives matter. Okay? We can hold two thoughts in our head at the same time. This part is wrong, but this part is right. And I'm going to champion what's right. Are you with me? You with me, Hope Unlimited? Would you give Al and Brandon and Tom a hand? Remain standing if you would. Now, and I want to echo something Al said earlier. I really want you to hear my heart in this, church. I really want you to hear my heart in this. I don't have the words. I don't have the words to adequately communicate how amazed I've been. I, I, proud would be a weird word, but is how proud I've been of how our church has responded to these conversations. Am I right? Cole's up preaching last week. Three people left. It's called Cole up here cutting everybody's head off. They weren't members of our church. Our church people, you have hung in here week after week. Man, and and thought, I know, man, this is uncomfortable. Wait, is Pastor Casey saying what I think he said? No, he didn't. He just corrected it. Thank God. (laughs) Wait, I think he just said it again. I'm confused. The way you have been able to have these conversations All I know to say is job well done. And it communicates to me your heart for God. Your heart for truth. But it communicates to the black community. I'm not trying to speak for them, but to echo what Al said, it communicates to the black community our heart for you. And can we let our black brothers and sisters know we've got you? Can we let them know we got you? And we're going to swing this anti-racist bat as hard as we absolutely can. Amen. Uh, Lift up your hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. 
And God, everything in us that needs to change, let it change. Everything in us that you need to highlight, please highlight it. Reveal in us, God. See if there be any wicked way in us. And lead us into the way of life everlasting in Jesus' name. Okay, let, 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 me, let me say this too. I want to say something Pastor Tom said. I promise you it's the last thing I want to say. There's been a lot said over the last four weeks. Pay, pay close attention to me. Very close attention to people watching online. There's been a lot said the last four weeks. A lot. If you combine it all together, we've probably had about two hours worth of, two and a half hours worth of conversation about this. Which isn't nearly enough. But it gets us started. And through all those conversations and all those sermons and all those comments, it's very easy to mishear. It's very easy to misunderstand. It's very easy to say, now, I don't get what you meant by this or that. Okay. What doesn't need to happen. Okay. There, there's, there's a gap between what was said and what was understood. You don't need to fill in that gap yourself. You need to reach out and you need to say, okay, I need you to clarify this for me. If you ask for clarification, that doesn't mean you're a racist. It means I want to learn and I want to grow. As far as I'm concerned, the more questions, the better. I want you to reach out and say, okay, you, I need you to talk deeper about this. I need you to explain a little bit further on this topic because I don't fully see what everybody's saying. And then you can even disagree, but at least disagree when we both know what we're talking about. Okay. So if there's questions, if things have gone unanswered, reach out. Don't feel the gap. Reach out and let's talk. Amen? We love you, Hope Unlimited. We will see you next Sunday and bring those babies next Sunday. 10 a.m., we love you, we love you. God bless you, we'll see you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.